Amen. Let's pray. Father God, great indeed is your faithfulness. You are enthroned forever and your renown will stand throughout all generations because your years have no end. Lord, this morning we come together to worship you, acknowledging that we are frail, that our lives are fleeting, and that as this world and as sin messes with us, Father God, we know that we can go to you, right to your very throne. And so that's what we're doing together here today. May we do so with confidence. May we do so with expectation that you will listen, you will turn your face to us, and you will answer us. And at the same time, Lord, we can look in your word and see that you have answered our biggest problem in sending your son, Jesus Christ. And so may we worship him together this morning. No matter how we came in, no matter what's going on in our hearts, Lord God, would you give us worshipful hearts even now by your spirit and by your word? Would you build us up? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning again. Welcome again. My name is Charlie. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Uh, it is uh, my, my family will be hosting our pastor's coffee tonight. However, we have transitioned that into a pastor's fiesta um, in honor of Cinco de Mayo. Uh, pastor's siesta will be taking place uh, in about an hour and a half. And so you're not invited to that. That is my personal nap time. That's, where's Nathan? That's a Nathan Brand joke, everybody. Dad joke. He, he, deserves, he deserves credit for that. Uh, but hopefully you can see us tonight at 6.30. We're going to have chips, guac, all that stuff. So we're going to have fun. If you're, if you're new, we'd love to get to know you. Um, but again, welcome to River City. Let's dive into Psalm 102 this morning. And I hope that as we've gone through this series in Book 4 of the Psalms, Book 4 of Psalms 90 through 106, I hope that as we've gone through that, you have gotten a bigger picture of who God is, a bigger picture of his faithfulness, seeing how he rules over all things all the time. And if you're like me, that has given me a lot of hope. Yeah, go ahead, guys. Page 322 in these Bibles, uh, Psalm 102. This has given me a lot of hope amidst internal struggle, amidst this inner sense of affliction and suffering and difficulty that takes place right in, in this general area right here, which is a regular thing that I face, you face, that we all face together. But going through this book of the Psalms, it's built me up a lot. I hope it's done the same for you. And we want to continue to consider the depths of God's faithfulness as laid out in this psalm and to see him, our faithful God, mature us as individuals and as a church to make us more and more into what he desires for us to be and what he has designed the local church to do in this broken world. And so as you turn to Psalm 102, we're going to do a quick history lesson just to set some context for this particular passage. So God chose this group of people this group of people uh, that he would use to show off his mercy and his grace and his power, and this group of people was Israel. And they have had a tumultuous history. They were enslaved in Egypt, but God was faithful to redeem them and to bring them out of slavery and to put them into the promised land, a place where they would experience his presence and they would be loved and they would be cared for with him. He would be their God he would be their king, and together they would be his people. But Israel rejected God as their king, and they wanted a man to be a king, just like the rest of the kingdoms that they were surrounded by. And so God gave them kings. 
And two are worth highlighting this morning. King David, he was a warrior king. He built up the city of Jerusalem as a place of protection for God's people. And then his son Solomon, who was the wisest and richest king that the world has ever seen. And Solomon built this amazing temple where the presence of God would dwell amongst his people. But David and Solomon, they were men, and they'd done messed up. They were not perfectly faithful kings. But God promised there would always be a king in the line of David on the throne of Israel. And so as time wore on, most of these kings that came after David and Solomon, they were not faithful to God. But God was patient. God sent them prophets to remind them of who he was and what he had done in redeeming them from slavery and bringing them into the promised land. And he called them to return to God as the object of their faith and their worship. But Israel, they were hard of heart. They were stubborn. And eventually God had no other choice but to remove them from this promised land and to put them under the rule of another king in another kingdom. And 2 Chronicles chapter 36 lays this out for us a bit, verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his word and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. And this last little phrase here gets me. The wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. That's a rough place to be. So from there, the Babylonians came, they destroyed Jerusalem, they killed many of God's people, they burned down this amazing temple that Solomon had built. The survivors, they were taken out of the land and they were brought to Babylon as exiles. And 2 Chronicles 36 says that the land, the dwelling place of God, the promised land, it lay desolate for 70 years. And so those who would be reading and those who would be singing Psalm 102 that we're studying today, they would have all this history. They would have this experience in their mind. And as they returned from exile back to Jerusalem after 70 years of desolation and destruction, they were in great need for encouragement. The good news is there is plenty of that in Psalm 102. So let's read it together. The words will be on the screen. Follow along in your Bibles as we hear from the Lord. Psalm 102, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. 
because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You will be remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height. From, the, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gathered together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations." Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. That is Psalm 102. Good stuff. Let's dive in and think about that for a minute. So imagine, as we get started for a moment, that you're standing outside your house, your, home, uh, your apartment, your dorm, wherever that might be. It's 3 a.m. It's cold outside, just above freezing, and so you're shaking, and tears are coming down your face because you're watching your home burn to the ground. There's nothing you can do to stop it. So as you watch this taking place in front of you, what do you think would hit your heart the hardest? What would be the most difficult part for you in watching your home be destroyed? And so let's take this one step further. What if you caused that fire? What if it was your fault? You may be watching your home burn, but on the inside, you're being destroyed right along with it. What would that be like for you? The sin that we battle has real-life consequences. And these consequences are meant to remind us that our lives are frail and that we are fleeting. When we fail to deal properly with the consequences of our sin, we're only going to find more of that internal destruction and devastation taking place. But... The good news is that our God is in the business of rebuilding what sin and suffering has burned to the ground because he is forever faithful and has sent his son to take upon himself the worst consequences of our sin. We can endure until the day when he makes all things new, finding hope amidst the suffering. And so for now, we deal with the consequences of our sin by being honest with God and looking forward to a time when we're dwelling securely in his presence. And so let's look at the first two verses of Psalm 102. 
where again we see this prayer of one who is afflicted. He is faint and he's pouring out, he's pouring out his complaint before the Lord. And if we look at the repetition that is taking place in these first two verses, we can see he has a very aggressive and confident approach to God. Look at some of the words he uses. Hear my prayer. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me. Incline your ear to me and answer me speedily in the day that I call. And so the psalmist, in this case, he is not holding back. This is a very aggressive, a very direct request to God, expecting God to answer and to respond. And so this would be like watching your home burn to the ground in the middle of the night, getting out your phone and calling the CEO of your insurance company and saying, answer, get up, I need help and I need a check by the morning. It's that kind of confidence that the psalmist has as he's wrestling with the consequences of his sin. And so technically, what the psalmist is doing here is a lament. A lament. And what that means is it's an expression of his internal experience of suffering. And in the case of Israel, this suffering was self-inflicted. And so when we are suffering due to the consequences of our own sin, we do not tend to have this aggressive, confident, direct approach to God running right to his throne of grace. But this psalm, these two verses are showing us that we have nowhere else to go. Where else would we go? for help in the midst of our suffering. We're given this permission right here to go right to the throne of God himself to ask him for what we need and to expect him to respond. That's, that's crazy to think about, but that's what this psalmist is doing and that's what these exiles are being instructed to do as they came back into the promised land. We can trust that our God is going to hear us, that he's going to turn his face to us, he's going to turn his attention to us, and we can trust that he will answer us in those moments. And so, for us today, as life hits us in the heart, as we watch the things that we love around us burning to the ground, as we have that inner experience of devastation and destruction, what does your prayer life look like in those moments? Do you run to God and express your pain and hurt easily and often, directly, confidently? Or do you, do you feel like, this is my mess, I can't go to you? Do you run away? Do you pull back? But what would it look like in your life if you were this confident, as the psalmist is, to take the lament, that inner experience of suffering, and to put it right at the foot of the Lord and his throne? What keeps you from doing that? What keeps you from running to God even when the problem you're facing is your fault? Again, this passage shows us we have total permission. We can go right to the, the, the person, our God, who can help us the most. But maybe it's not just the fact that we don't think we can go to him. Maybe when we get to him, we don't even know what to do. I mean, we're, we're running into the throne room of God. We're falling all over ourselves. We're stumbling and we're crashing to our knees at the foot of our God. What do we do when we get there? The psalm gives us some instruction if we look at verses 3 through 11. And look at all these descriptive, poetic words 
that the psalmist uses to, again, describe his inner sense of suffering, the inner pain that he has brought upon himself due to the consequences of his sin. My days pass away like smoke. My bones, they burn like a furnace. My heart, it's struck down. It's like grass. It is withered. It is all dried up. My loud groaning, my bones are clinging to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places, which basically means I'm an unclean thing in an unclean place. We can relate to that. I'm like a lonely sparrow. My enemies taunt me. They use my name for a curse. I eat ashes like bread. I drink my tears. My days are like an evening shadow, and I wither like grass. As he wrestles with the consequences of his sin, he's seeing more clearly how his life is fleeting and how he is so incredibly frail. Because it feels like, he says this himself, it feels like the Lord has taken him up and just smashed him down. And those who were returning from 70 years in exile, they would have felt that. They'd be like, yeah, I'm there, big guy. I'm feeling the pain of what that must be like because I'm experiencing it right now. And so this is a, a true lament. This is what that looks like. Rightly identifying the source of your suffering, realizing that you are frail, your life is fleeting, and then describing to God, pouring out your complaint to God about what you're experiencing in here as everything else around you has been blown down. This past week, again, sorry about all the construction around here. We can't do anything about it. This past week, uh, they brought in this uh, huge vehicle uh, from Canada specifically to destroy Main Avenue. And what it does is, on the front right of the vehicle, you see that, that kind of triangle-shaped thing that goes down to the ground. That whole, the thing that says RMI there, that thing vibrates really, really quickly. And so it was just going down the street over and over and over again, just brrr, just pounding it. And the whole building shook. They even have a sensor, right, Jake, to measure like, how much it's shaking just to make sure this building won't fall down. But this thing is pretty darn solid. So that was happening this week. And we, could, we, we were just sitting here working. All of a sudden, we hear this incredible vibration, this feeling here in the building. And so the front end is breaking up the, is breaking up the, uh, the asphalt so they can get to what's underneath, what really needs to be fixed. You can see a video of this on our Facebook page if you want to go look at it. But this is how God is using the consequences of our sin to get our attention. He's using these consequences and this suffering and this affliction to break through the surface level and to get to the heart, to expose what's really there. And then what he does, what these guys are going to do hopefully sometime soon, God's going to start to rebuild us from the inside out. He's going to get to the heart of the problem. He's going to shake us loose from our old patterns of sin and rebellion. He's going to rebuild us. That's what he does. And so where is God using the consequences of your sin to break through that surface level and get to the heart? I know it's hard because you're feeling the rumbling and you're wondering, where did this come from? But where is he using the consequences of your sin to get your attention? How would you, like the psalmist here, describe that inner burning, that inner destruction that sin brings about? As you wrestle with that this week, what I would instruct you to do Get a pen and paper and take some time if you're hurting to consider why am I hurting so much? 
Why does it feel like this? What does it feel like at all? How would I, would, how would I describe this pain? How would I describe this destruction and burning that's taking place? And then if you're even a bit more courageous, even beyond that, to take that lament, to take it to your community group, and to let other people into that, to describe to your brothers and sisters what that lament actually looks like. Because the psalmist is lonely. He's an owl in a waste place. He's unclean in an unclean place. What would it look like to bring this to people who can know you and love you and care for you? Because we can put it before God aggressively and confidently, and he's pretty holy. So I think we can put this before one another. We can entrust this part of our hearts to the people around us to help encourage us and to build us up in Christ. And so where do you feel like God is picking you up and throwing you down? Where is he seeking to get your attention so that he can rebuild you from the inside out? That's a great thing to wrestle with with the people you know and who love Jesus and who love you. And we can wrestle with these things because the good news of the gospel, that our God is in the business of rebuilding what sin and suffering has burned to the ground. So let's look at the next section here. We're going to look at verses 12 through 24. And this, pa- this section, as well as the whole psalm, hinges on verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. And so, though our lives, as the psalmist is comparing and contrasting himself with God, our lives are fleeting, we are frail, but God is enthroned forever. He is large and he is in charge and he always will be. He is forever faithful. He is the great I am. He is the same, his years have no end, and he endures throughout every generation. And we've seen this contrast between God and, and us. In his faithfulness, this section says, God will arise, meaning he will act, and he will have compassion on Zion. Zion is the city of God, Jerusalem, the place where the presence of God dwelt amongst his people. It goes on to say, it is the time to favor her. I'm, God's going to show grace to Zion, to Jerusalem. The appointed time has come. The Lord will build up this city, the, the city that his people have held so dear for so long, this city that is precious to them. Even the, the stones are precious. They have compassion on the very stones of this city. The dust is precious to them. Why? Why is it such a big deal to them? Because Zion represented their national identity. It was the place where they found safety and security. It was a place where they found God's provision. But ultimately, Zion was precious to God's people because it was where he dwelt among them. This was the place where it says, God's presence made the nations tremble in the fear of his name where the kings of earth fear his glory. And this God, because he is enthroned forever, because he is forever faithful, he's going to act. He's going to rebuild Zion as the place where his presence is found and where his power is made known throughout the world. And so can you imagine how incredibly encouraging this must have been to these exiles? Many of whom coming back were probably born in captivity, heard the stories, heard about Jerusalem being destroyed and uh, devastated, 
How encouraging would that be be to you if you were coming back after that 70 years to think God is going to be gracious. Now's the time. He's going to rebuild this city where he dwells and the whole world's going to know it. Even though the land was destroyed, it laid desolate for 70 years, God is still enthroned. They can burn down the city, but they cannot remove him from his place of rule and reigning over all things. And though they started the fire, God is being gracious to his people, and he's going to rebuild this city. And so God rebuilds what sin and suffering has burnt down because, verse 12, he is enthroned forever. He is forever faithful. And so back to our history lesson really quick. Babylon was overthrown by the Persians and God stirred in the heart of the king, the new king, to send anybody back to Jerusalem who wanted to go back and to restore the city. And so guys like Ezra and Nehemiah went. And it was difficult work. They had their, they had their tool in one hand and they had their weapon in the other because the people were opposed to Jerusalem being rebuilt. But God is forever faithful and he rebuilds what sin and suffering burns down. And so even though the city of God was destroyed, he remained enthroned and he had plans to continue building up the place of his residence. And the good news for us today is that this work hasn't stopped. God continues to build and what he is building is beautiful and amazing and glorious and he is building a church. He is building a people. He is remaking them and restoring them for his purposes of praising his name and proclaiming his glory. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom this whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. Because God is forever faithful, he has not stopped building. There is no temple today. It was destroyed again in AD 70. But there is a church. There is a people that he is redeeming and he is restoring, a people in whom he dwells by his spirit. And so the Lord, this is our passage 102, the Lord looks upon the earth. He looks down from his holy height. He hears the groans of those enslaved, those who are doomed to die. And our God redeems them. He sets them free to declare his name and to declare his praise. And so in that sense, If you are in Christ here today, you are God's building material. He dwells within you and he's using you to build his church into something that reflects his character and nature, a place where the nations will know this is who God is. He is using us as his building material to build us up to be a place where he dwells, where we proclaim his holy name. And this is only possible because Jesus was torn apart. Jesus suffered the consequences for our sins on the cross. Jesus suffered in our place, being condemned to die, even though he was not frail. He was strong. He was faithful. He held fast to his Father. It's us, 
We are the ones who rebelled. We are the ones who mocked God and his word. We are the ones who deserved destruction. But Jesus took that all upon himself so we could become citizens of his kingdom, members of the household of God. And together, we gather like this to declare the name of the Lord that he's enthroned forever. We're doing that right now, by the way. We gather to sing and to declare his praise. We already did that. We'll do some more. And that's what we do every time we gather and celebrate the name of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone upon whom God is building something that is beautiful and amazing, a people for himself who will declare his forever faithfulness. And that's really what the psalmist wants. Remember verses 1 and 2, like he was getting aggressive. He had this confident approach running right to the throne of God to say, this is what I need. I need you to listen to me. I need you to act. This tells us a bit of what the psalmist was actually asking for if we look at verses 23 and 24. He says, Oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. So if I can paraphrase, the psalmist does not want to miss out on this party. The peoples have been gathered together, kingdoms gathered together to worship the Lord in verse 22. His strength is broken. He's shortened my days, but oh my God, don't take me away. In the midst of his affliction, the psalmist is aggressively asking God for a worshipful heart where he is taking part in what God is building up in his church, praising God with God's people. That's what the psalmist is aggressively asking for. Because God is in the business of rebuilding what sin and suffering has burned down. And in our frailty, we often only want relief from the immediate consequences of things right in front of our face. But instead, what this instructs us to ask for and pursue and to pray for is we're being called to ask God aggressively and directly for a worshipful heart. Ask God directly and confidently for a worshipful heart. And so when you're experiencing that affliction, when your heart is burning like a furnace within you, as you see everything around you devastated and destroyed, are you merely asking God for relief, just to take away what's right in front of you? Or instead, are you asking God to rebuild you from the inside out? Are you asking God for a worshipful heart? Are you asking him to give you the desire to praise God with God's people? That was my prayer during communion first service. Help me, to give me the desire to praise God, to praise you with your people. Because there are Sunday mornings where I don't necessarily want to be here. And that might be weird to hear from your pastor. But a lot of times what's going on in here makes it really difficult to be out here. And I, I know I'm not alone in that because suffering is terrible. Our consequences of our sin is terrible. But sometimes I would just rather run away. I would just rather retreat into something that I think will give me relief from my immediate symptoms, whatever they might be. And then what happens? I'm usually sitting somewhere over here because that's what we do. And God's word is opened up and I'm singing with God's people and I'm reminded of God's faithfulness and every week I'm reminded of what Jesus did for me. I'm reminded of who I am and then I'm like, I'm really glad I was here. I sing songs with you all and my heart is built up. 
Um, this was good for me. And usually it's my wife elbowing me in the side saying, that was really good, wasn't it? I'm like, yeah, it was really good. Because God's word is good. It reminds us that while we are frail and our lives are fleeting, God is faithful. And the best remedy for dealing with the consequences of sin that we're facing is to ask God for a worshipful heart to praise him with his people. And that's why Sunday mornings are important. That's why community group is important because it reminds us of God's faithfulness while we deal with our own fleeting lives. What are you asking for in the midst of your affliction? And this, this is a really important question. If you could meditate on one thing this morning before we take communion, if you could take one answer to your community group this week, this would be it. Because we're always going to find sin that leads to suffering. That's always going to be there for us. While we're on this earth, it's going to be a constant thing that we deal with. Sin and its consequences and effects on our lives and our relationships. And our frailty and our fleeting lives are always going to be right in front of us. It's going to be right there. But we need other people to break through that and remind us that God is forever faithful, that he rebuilds what sin and suffering has burned down. And so we can deal with sin's consequences as we look forward to a day when he will make all things new. That's what the psalmist is landing on this morning. Check out verses 25 through 28. In the beginning, Genesis 1 tells us that God made all things out of nothing. He just did it. And he says that all the things that he made was very good. But then in Genesis 3, we see sin entering the world. We see death enter the world. We see destruction and devastation. We see a murder right off the bat. God's very good creation was made into a shell of what it was supposed to be because of sin and because of its effects. But God, he rebuilds what sin and suffering has burned down, and because he's forever faithful, he's got more building to do. He dealt with it right in Genesis 3. An animal was killed and they were covered. It points to the covering that we have in Christ. Now, God built a temple where he could be with his people. That was destroyed and burned down. Then Jesus came, God himself entered creation, and he died on the cross so that he could build a church. So he could build a group of people that he is remaking and restoring into his image where he will dwell. But we still deal with sin and suffering. And this last section directs us to a future where all of us as God's people will dwell securely in his presence. We will be established before him for all time praising his name along people, uh, alongside people from every tribe, nation, tongue, what Greg was talking about this morning. That will be the party. That will be amazing because what God is building for his people and for his glory will be beautiful. The heavens and the earth are the work of his hands. So says verse 25. But right from there, it says, these things will perish They will wear out like a garment. They're going to pass away. There will be a day when the earth as we know it is going to dissolve. I don't know what that's going to look like. Where the devastating effects of sin will perish. They will burn up. They're going to be torn down. They're going to be completely destroyed. 2 Peter 3 talks about, about this. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, hastening the day, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So try to picture that just for a moment. No more sin, no more suffering, because in the new heavens and the new earth, the only thing that's going to be there is righteousness. Only God will remain. All will pass away, and we will be with him dwelling securely. Revelation 21 starts to fill in a little bit of that picture for us. It tells us that there isn't going to be a temple in the new heavens and the new earth because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb Jesus Christ will be there. A temple isn't even necessary. There will be a throne for God and for the Lamb, and then from this throne is going to flow a river of the water of life and that's described as being bright as crystal. So don't think red river. Think bright as crystal, which is just hard for us to consider. Revelation 22 keeps going and says, this is amazing. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be upon their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so this is what our God will do. This is what he will build, a place where we dwell securely in his presence, where nothing is accursed, but only righteousness dwells where we, as the servants of God, will be praising the Lord God, praising the Almighty, and praising the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who together will reign forever and ever, just like Psalm 102 says, you are enthroned forever. And so what that means for us is we can stand there in the middle of the night, we can watch our home burn, and we can say, it was going to burn anyway. This is not where I place my hope. This is not where I find my security. This is not where I find my provision and my protection. But I only find it in knowing the, the one who is enthroned forever, in knowing the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who lived for me, who died for me, who rose again for me, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, who is now ruling over all things with all authority in heaven and on earth. That's where my hope is found, in trusting him alone. We can look forward to that day when we actually be in his presence and see what that looks like. What does that look like? I'm excited to find out. We can look forward to that day when the forever faithful God, he will take away our frailty. Our lives will no longer be fleeting because we will dwell in the very presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be established. We shall dwell secure. There's no more self-inflicted suffering. 
and only pure praise of God amongst his people. We deal with the consequences of our sin and the suffering it brings by being honest with God and looking to that day. So for now, as we await that day, be honest with God about your heart. Take the time to understand what that inner burning and affliction feels like and be, be ready to express that clearly, directly, so you can understand it, so you can name it, you can know what your heart is feeling. And so you can put that before the Lord in prayer. You can put that before people in your community group, in your life, with wisdom and with truth, and they can know you and they can love you. Ask him to rebuild you from the inside out, to give you that worshipful heart, and then look forward to that great day when the Lord is going to make all things new. What a day that will be. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you as the ever-faithful God who is enthroned forever. In the midst of that, Lord God, again, we come before you to confess our frailty as we realize that our lives are fleeting. And so as we ponder your word right now, as we come before your throne of grace for help in time of need, Lord, give us clarity in our hearts about why it all hurts so bad. Whatever the affliction is, Lord God, would you give us the words that we need to describe it, to understand it, to know it, so that we can see specifically where we run to you and ask, us, uh, and ask you to rebuild us, to give us that worshipful heart even when we're feeling that inner burning. So Lord, we trust that you will do that, that you will answer us speedily even in this time now, that by your spirit and by your word and by prayer and by song, we will be built up, we will be worshipful and encouraged. So guide us in that now as we come to your table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.